Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. Jordan is on best. Harper's on Miller. play together, they believe, um, and Karis LeVert is cold. LeVert, back in, speed, oh, he's a one-man wrecking crew! Holiday, shot clock down to six, finds one, here's a long three. Welcome to another edition of the Indie Cornrows Podcast, this is your host, Mark Schindler. As always, before we get started today, if you have not already, please be sure to rate and review us over on Apple Podcasts, we always want to hear from you and get your feedback. And of course, read us over at Indie Cornrows. We have a lot of great stuff coming out. My draft guide will be coming out tomorrow morning, as promised. Uh, it's it's a work in progress. We've made a lot happen today, a lot more to come still. Um, taking a break to, to get out a pod that I've been excited about for a while. Uh, I keep scheduling to do a Sharif Hooper podcast. But finally, I was able to get somebody really awesome to come on and, uh, and take the time with us. And that's uh, Ricky O'Donnell from over at the SB Nation Parent site. Ricky, how are you doing today, man? I'm good, Mark. How are you? Good. Um, this actually worked out perfectly because you put out a really great piece on Sharif, I believe, yesterday or two days ago. I can't remember off the top of my head because it has been a whirlwind this week. Uh, but this works out perfectly, and I'm really stoked to talk about him. Um, yeah. So I guess first thing, too, I mean, how are, how are you? I didn't even ask how you're doing today, man. Yeah, I'm good. Just uh, gearing up for the draft. As I told you before we signed on i'm putting the finishing touches on my 2022 mock draft right now so I'll, i will have that up on friday at sb nation and getting ready to wind down this draft class i'll be doing draft grades live draft grades uh night of the draft on thursday a lot of warriors fans got mad at me last year for giving the james wiseman pick a c quite frankly i wanted to give it a d but <laughs> i figured i would be a little nicer about it but yeah you can keep it locked to sbnation.com for draft grades on Thursday, and then uh, a look at next year's class on Friday. Looking forward to that, man. So that yeah, that just tells you how far apart we are in draft uh, conversation right now. Because I'm just finishing up my 2021 stuff. You're on to 2022 already. Uh, I'm getting there, but you know, it's uh, I condensed everything down to three months as soon as the season ended, and uh, that was well, it was fun. It was taxing. So I'm excited. This is going to be the last deep dive pod. And I'm hoping, you know, luckily now, uh, I'm not sure if you were aware, I got absolutely dunked on by some random uh, no avatar person on Twitter who claimed that they knew Roko Precaution and that he was going to withdraw from the draft four hours before he did. Um, and it ended up being true. Uh, it was very devastating for me because I love Rocco Precaution. But luckily, there is no withdrawal date for Sharif right now unless uh, – by the by the grace of God, he just decides he's not going to the draft. So we're, we remain hopeful. Um, he only played 12 games this year. Obviously, you know, there was some stuff that went on with Auburn in terms of injury and just, you know, him being there. If I remember correctly, it was some kind of, there's just some kind of issue with him getting in. I don't remember off the top of my head. Um, 
he was absolutely fantastic with them when he did play, just com- completely electric. One of the best playmakers I've ever seen at the college level. Um, what were your first uh, interpretations this is the wrong way of putting it, but your first kind of reactions to how he looked at Auburn. And I'm sure you had some thoughts on him coming in as well. Cause he was a pretty high level recruit. Yeah. I think he was a really famous recruit basically uh, coming through the system, his rising junior year. So after sophomore year, heading into his junior year, he was named offensive player of the year in the EYBL uh, average, like 28 and eight or something, just like ridiculous production for a guy who still had was going against, you know, dudes who are a year older than him. He is 20 years old in this draft class. So he's on the older side in terms of freshmen, but uh, he had a big profile entering Auburn because of the EYBL production. And because he was high school teammates with Isaac Coro at a public school in suburban Atlanta called McEachern, uh, their junior year, they went 32 and 0, uh, won the first state title in program history in that season, they not only dominated locally, but they also beat the Mobley brothers uh, out of California. They beat Findlay Prep. They beat Sunrise Christian with Kennedy Chandler. So they played a national schedule and crushed everyone locally, went 32-0, and 0, uh, first, you know, first state title in program history. And as we say that now, none of it feels all that surprising because Isaac Okoro went number five overall uh, in last year's draft to the Cleveland Cavaliers. And now Sharif is in this year's draft. And... In my opinion, he's one of the 10 best players in the class. I thought Agreed. that his, uh, his production at Auburn was remarkable, but even the production doesn't capture the sort of electricity in his game. And, uh, to me, he's probably the second best playmaker in this class behind Cade. I also think there's a scenario where Cade ends up maybe a little less polished in the pick and roll than some people are anticipating, but still has a great career as, you know, a six, eight wing who can shoot and defend, but, uh, there's an avenue where Sharif could potentially be the best facilitator in this class. And uh, it feels a little wild to me that he is being projected so low. I think the the latest report by, or the latest mock by Bleacher Report had him out of the first round. Uh, I believe that that has been speculated by ESPN and some other sources. So uh, I think that Sharif is, you know, the sleeper in this class. And it was cool to catch up with him uh, last Friday. I was able to talk to Sharif for about 15 minutes. I talked to his dad. Uh, I ended up writing basically a 2,500 word story in one day. So it was good to get that out there uh, before this draft comes about and just sort of tell his story about a kid who, uh, you know, really had poor luck and just totally unfair with the NCAA eligibility scandal uh, had an ankle sprain, I think, late in the year, too. Of course, Auburn took a tournament ban for the FBI investigation three years earlier. All this stuff totally out of his control. But if you watch Sharif play in those fleeting moments of his college career, I think the talent was totally undeniable. And uh, there's no doubt he's one of my favorite players in this class. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Just in terms of a pure watch standpoint, like uh, his change of direction ability is crazy. Um, his just sheer movement is insane. Like his first steps, ridiculous. Um, in terms of looking at somebody who can just command the court in terms of getting wherever he wants to, like that's to a T Sharif Cooper. Like it doesn't like defense is completely catered to what he was doing and he still got wherever he wanted to at Auburn. And I think there are obviously questions about his shot. Um, I also think some of those are like a little bit overrated, like at least for me in terms of like trying to project somebody's shot moving out, like he has very good touch. I wouldn't say it's like elite, elite touch or anything, but he showed some stuff with his floater. Like he was pretty solid getting to the rim. It's more just about what happens there. Um, 
but also he's a good free throw shooter. Like that stuff is going to translate eventually. He's just, he has a lot to work on with it in terms of like, he's, he's taking the lean out already as we've seen in some of the combine videos. So like, I think that's been a little bit overstretched. Um, obviously. Yeah. He's small, but I just think you look at what he can do in terms of bending a defense already. And it's like, I just don't know how you aren't willing to take him in the top 10. It's been very vexing to me. Like every time somebody asks me on a podcast, I'm like, why is Sharif on? Like, you know, I really don't have an answer for you um, because I just don't think there's a great reason for it. Um, like, I mean, do you have like an, an idea for why? Because I just, I can't come up with anything consistent other than just shooting and, and, and size. Well, that's it, right? Like he's going to be one of the smallest players in the league. Uh, there's an extremely high bar to be a good NBA player at his size. But I ran the numbers and there was, I think, 13 players in the league who were 6'1 or under and 180 pounds or under. And you had all sorts of guys in that mix. Like you had dudes like Mike James and Yogi Ferrell, who are sort of like on the fringes of the league. You had, uh, you know, good reserves who have carved out a long career like Ish Smith, Patrick Beverly. You had all-star caliber starters like Mike Connolly and Kemba Walker. And then you also have two guys who uh, Sharif likes to compare himself to, which is Chris Paul and Trey Young. And it really just shows that, like, I think the size concerns are a little overblown. Like, obviously, the game's just easier when you're bigger. And especially with Sharif just being so light. I think that that could come into play in the NBA, but he's also pretty strong too. Like he rarely, you rarely see his lack of strength show up functionally on the game tape is how I would describe it. And uh, you know, all those factors sort of work in his favor too. He's able to keep his dribble so low to the ground. His first step is so quick. He's very deceptive in his movement skills and his passing ability. So uh, I'm a big Sharif fan. And, you know, I asked Sharif straight up. I'm like, you know, what do you think about the concerns over your shooting? What, you know, what, I, I think I basically framed it to him. Like, what's the biggest misconception about your game? And he's like, oh, that I can't shoot. Like I've been a shooter my whole life. Didn't shoot the ball well this year, but I was coming off the long NCAA eligibility scandal, not scandal, but just like uh, investigation where he was out for 72 days. He couldn't practice with the team and, you know, that was coming on the heels of the pandemic. So he couldn't even like get some open gym run after the pandemic. He basically didn't play competitive five on five for like a year and a half is what he told me. So uh, just wild, like how that investigation sort of threw him off. Uh, his dad, when I was talking to him, was like, you know, you could see in the game film that Sharif just didn't have his wind. And of course, like anyone who's even played the game recreationally knows that like being in good shape is not the same as being in basketball shape. Yeah. And when you're tired, the first thing to go is your legs. Well, what happens when your legs go? You can't shoot. So all this stuff is connected. And that's how Sharif and his dad wanted to spin the, the poor shooting numbers. Personally, I sort of buy that. Uh, if you look at his EYBL numbers, those are hard to find these days, unfortunately. But he always took threes at a decent volume. Uh, he's very confident in his jump shot. Like talking to him, he does not view the jump shot as a weakness. He thinks he's going to be able to shoot from day one. He's ready to work for it. He said, he told me he's ready to get it the hard way. So uh, it was an enlightening conversation with him. And it made me like him more after talking to him, after writing the profile on him, uh, a player who I already was confident in is someone who I put number nine overall on my big board probably uh, significantly higher than where the consensus has him. But, uh, you know, those playmaking skills that you referenced are so special. And 
Uh, I think that some of the shortcomings are a bit overblown. He's also just an easy player to root for. So it'll be fascinating to see where he goes on Thursday night. Yeah, definitely. So I, I mean, I have my, my nice Cavs leaf behind me. Um, that is my draft board. Luckily you can't see all the names on it. Otherwise it is the Cavs leaf. Um, for people not referencing, I'll be sure to have a picture of that in the comments. So it's fantastic. Um, but you know, it's just kind of funny because I think what I've really tuned into a lot more this year, um, like obviously not to flex, I watched a lot of basketball, no shit, but like um, in looking at, you know, diving into the draft and trying to parse through what I think matters most, I think it is ball handling and playmaking first and foremost for me. Like, I think I always used to look at things uh, like every skill was like linear in terms of its value. And it's just not like you can't really teach somebody to be a better ball handler or to see the court better or to, you know, whip a cross court pass when they're driving downhill. Like you can try and uh, rep out reads and things like that. And you can try and help somebody improve his ball handler. But some of that stuff, you just, it, you just have it or you don't. And Sharif is one of the guys who does. Um, and so that's why I think you have to want to bet on it because as important as shooting is important, as important as defense is like setting the table and breaking a defense is probably the most important skill in the NBA where the teams are looking for. And I think that particularly pertains to the Indiana Pacers because looking at this Pacers team, um, I think obviously they're a much better team than I think was showcased last year. Uh, as you as you and I are both aware, a lot more went down than just, uh, you know, having a, a poor record. Um, there was a lot of external stuff, you know, injuries played a fact, too. But I think you can look at this team and say there really isn't a player who can consistently break a defense. There's a lot of bendability, uh, bendability, um, a lot of guys who can create and a lot of guys who can finish plays. But there's not really quite one person you can look at and say consistently that they're going to be able to, to bend a defense to their will. Yeah, and I think Sharif would be a great pick for the Pacers at 13. He also probably will not be the pick. Yeah, no, uh, yeah, definitely. Not. His draft range seems like it's going to be starting maybe 19 with the Knicks, but more likely in the 20s. Uh, I'm a Bulls fan, so I'm like, I hope Sharif slides to like 28, 29, 30, and the Bulls can trade up and try to get him. I'm sure there's a lot of people thinking the same way right now. But uh, yeah, you know, you look at the Pacers roster, I think that, uh, a lot of people have been projecting them to go with a guard because of Bracken's injury issues, because what's he got two years left on his contract. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I think, you know, the Pacers with a with a guard seems like it makes sense. Now, I did the final mock draft at SB Nation today. I gave him Davion Mitchell. I don't necessarily dislike Miss Mitchell in a vacuum. I just didn't elevate him as much as some others did after his March Madness run. I yeah. always saw him as a pick in the early to mid 20s. That's still where I have him. As I said, Sharif, I put number nine on my board, uh, you know, just basically after the three big forwards and uh, Franz, Jalen Johnson, uh, Scotty Barnes. So I had, I have him in a, in a very high tier, but uh, I think that, you know, what you said in terms of creation, yeah, it's like every team, if you don't have that lead creator, that's your biggest need just automatically, like everything else sort of becomes secondary to that. And like, even if you don't have rim protection, you don't have shooting, those things can be addressed easier than finding a super dynamic on-ball creator. So that's why Sharif's draft stock is so curious to me because, mm -hmm. you know, no matter any way you frame it, like he definitely has more creation upside than almost any player in this draft class, in my opinion, I, that's not even a particularly 
uh, hot take, I don't think, but it's just like, you know, does the NBA value maybe safer bets with less, you know, glaring shortcomings than the two Sharif has with the size and shooting, you know, probably, but I also think that for all these teams that just don't have their star creator, like why wouldn't you take an upside swing on drafting someone like Sharif in the middle of the first round? Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to Cars.com. It's magical. Yeah, no, I feel the exact same way. And I, I, I'm, I'm assuming the Pacers don't feel the same way based on reporting that's come out in Indiana. Um, but it just seems like, and I, I, like, I, like, like I mentioned, I have Sharif eight. I think I have Josh Giddy five right now. Like um, just take chances on these guys. And I think even like you can look too, even if let's say Sharif doesn't have the pull-up shooting come around, which, because I think there's been a lot of talk like, well, if he doesn't become a pull-up shooter, then how is he leveraging defenses? I think that's a little bit overblown. Like, I think he could still do quite a bit um, as a starter, even if he's not a pull-up shooter. But, like, let's say that the things don't fall through for him to be a starter. Like, he would still be one of the better backups in the league from what he brings as a playmaker. And I think some people might call it a mis, uh, misuse of assets or something if you draft him with, let's say, the 13th pick and he only becomes a backup point guard. But – I think at the same time, I would so much rather swing on that guy who could be the guy who changes things. Because even then you can look at, he doesn't have to come in and start right away, but like even just looking at how it could change lineup versatility. Like I think a lot of people look at lineup versatility in terms of like, you know, adding in a three or a four and and changing things and and pulling out a five or something like that. But if you can bring in Sharif, like, all right, you bump up Brogdon to playing off ball more. Karras is, is at the three TJ's at the four. Maybe there's some more different versatile ways of doing that, but um, there's just a lot of things to like about it. I know they've worked him out. I, I, I agree with you. They're probably not going to end up selecting him. It's still befuddling to me that um, he is getting mocked like that. And especially, too, because, like, normally I want to say Gavoni's mock over ESPN is normally the most statistically accurate. Um, his is based off a lot of intel, and it you know it just seems like Sharif's going to go that far down. But um, I want to transition a little bit in terms of, like, looking at uh, Josh Giddy because he, he's another guy who just wrote a profile on recently that was fantastic. Um, he's another guy who I think in terms of looking at creation upside and, and guys who could really just pop at the next level. Um, I think some people really don't see it with him. He's a guy who within five minutes of watching, I was like, oh, he's a top, he's a top 10 pick. And within diving in more and really thinking things through, I'm like, yeah, I, I would take him at five. Um, where are you at with him? And, and I, I guess I would ask too, what are some of the nuances of his game that you think people maybe aren't seeing as much? Yeah, Giddy was cool. So I FaceTimed with Giddy out in Australia. Did you ask if he pooped? Very important. <laughs> no. What, what's that in reference to again? Whoa, you didn't see that. Oh, uh, that was on Twitter. Um, somebody, uh, he was, I can't remember which um, video it was for. Like he was doing an interview for, I think it was multiple media members. Um, and somebody left their microphone on. I'll have to send you this, this, the link to this, but somebody, to uh, Josh? yeah, yeah. And, uh, somebody, I think somebody's dog walked into their room and they, somebody asked into the mic, did you poop? And Josh just like pauses in the middle of his interview 
but he like carried on like like three seconds later but it was it's hilarious man i'll send it to you all right well you know you can probably tell something about my draft philosophy and that the two guys i chose for my big profiles this year were josh giddy and sharif cooper so you know both of those guys obviously have a lot of creation upside and i think that that's the thing giddy is really interesting because you know i always do next year's mock draft the day after the draft I had never heard of Josh Giddy when I was putting together that initial 2021 mock draft. So I would say he probably raised his stock more than any single player in this draft class during his year in the NBL. He was, you know, the first domestic player from Australia, I believe, to take that next star's pathway, play in the league. He nearly committed to Colorado. He told me uh, it was a dream of his to play college basketball. And then uh, he just sort of realized that, like, the professional option to go against grown men every day, to not have to worry about schoolwork, was just a lot more appealing to him. So I thought Giddy was awesome. Uh, it's sort of interesting. Like, we can have this discussion, but to me, Cooper has a lot more just, like, initiator equity than Giddy does because of his first step and his ability to, like, put two feet in the paint. Whereas Giddy, I almost view as sort of in the Tyrese Halliburton mold or maybe the Lonzo Ball mold of being sort of a connector who I think you want to ideally pair him with a guy who can consistently get to the cup. Uh, I think, you know, Halliburton is a guy last year who, when he was in the draft, I was not super high on Halliburton. Mm. Well, that already looks like a miss because he was really good his rookie year. I also think that part of it is because he found a really good fit, being able to play next to De'Aaron Fox, who is one of the quickest guards in the league. Uh, it'll be interesting to see where Giddy lands and sort of what his team setup looks like. If he was to go to Orlando, for instance, him and Fultz could be pretty interesting. People are already forgetting about Fultz up to the injury last year, but uh, I like Orlando should not pass on Josh Giddy or Sharif for that matter, right? Like I haven't projected to take two power forwards in my mock draft because that just seems what, like what Orlando very does Jeff Walton, here, yeah. but uh, yeah, like that's a team that like needs creation and needs guard play. And I think that uh, Giddy there would be really interesting. Curious what you think of him athletically, because yeah. there are times when you're watching the film when I'm like, this guy's going to probably be one of the least intimidating athletes in the league. Granted, he makes up for some of it just by being huge, by being 6'8", uh, and, of course, by being a really smart player. But, like, you know, every year uh, the dudes will go through, like, the P3 testing where it'll, like, measure their explosion and stuff. Like, Yeah, our guy Scotty if, Barnes is getting very much so the P3 hype. Yeah, if Giddy were to go through that this year, and I haven't seen that he has, have you seen that? I don't think he has, as far as I'm aware. I would expect the results to be pretty underwhelming. So yeah. uh, that's one thing that jumps off the film about his tape. But even despite the lack of athletic explosion, uh, I think you can easily bet on his size, his IQ, his passing. The shooting really came around. I think he started the year in Australia two for 20, and then after that, a two for 20 from three, I should say. And then after that hit like 35% of his threes. So uh, there's a lot to like there. And uh, now my expectation would be that he's gone by the time the Pacers come on the clock at number 13. Yeah, definitely. It's every single guy that I've, I've, I've gotten excited about for, for Indiana at 13, just ratchets their draft stock up automatically. Like when I wrote about James Booknight, he was still being mocked in the twenties. And then by the time I was done writing it, he was a top 10 pick. And now it seems like it's even potential that he goes five. Um, 
But with with Josh, it's interesting because like he's a guy who I look at, and he, it's all about like you want to take things in context. But his athleticism definitely isn't there right now. Um, but I think you can look at it like he's one of the youngest players in the draft. Um, I think this was the first year he ever really even saw the inside of a weight room, if I remember reading correctly. Um, he's somebody who I think like maybe if, and this is getting more into biomechanics stuff, but like if your team really believes that you can get a little bit more flexibility in his legs um, and that can help him leverage his handle more and he's able to build off the pull-up shooting he showed in the NBL, like then you're talking about somebody who is able to leverage more primary reps Um so I think even and even if that doesn't happen, like I don't love just like making comps, but like in looking at a guy like like you're mentioning with Halliburton or, or Joe Ingles or somebody who has awesome court vision, but doesn't always have the ability to use it or, or to leverage it downhill. Like he's going to be a very impactful player who's going to like if the shot just gets to being average, even like that's a fantastic player on your team. Yeah, you could say high floor, high ceiling, you yeah. know, like one of those guys who probably won't bust in the lottery. I would say he might be one of the safer picks in the lottery while also having some pathways towards being really, really valuable. So I'm a giddy guy for sure. Uh, there were some disappointing defensive clips and yeah, there were times when he looked like, like an actor playing basketball, like an actor in a basketball high school basketball movie, like being on the court, like just like with the way he moves and his lack of physicality. But then you see him on the other end and what's really What's really striking about him, and I was talking to the former director, the current director of the NBA Global Academy in Australia. Giddy's going to be the first player to come out of the NBA academies to get drafted. And what he said is that, you know, watching Josh, like he would be beating the defense's adjustments when he was seeing it for the first time. Just like not only being able to read, you know, the first level of pick and roll coverage, let's say, like how, if they're going to hedge him, if they're going to drop, whatever that is, but already reading the help, uh, just sort of looking past that initial line of defense, being able to think to the next step. And, you know, that's something that really is critical in the NBA. And it helps when you're six foot eight and see over the defense and have comfort throwing passes with either hand and any sort of style of pass. Uh, I think it is awesome. I put him 10 on my big board and I feel like that already is probably too low. Uh, like I said, if I was the, I would, if I was the magic, I'd take him at five probably just cause yeah. I wouldn't want to risk the warriors taking him at seven. Uh, of course, you know, the, the magic will probably take Barnes. The warriors will take Kaminga and, uh, then this will all get thrown for a loop. Yeah, draft Twitter will uh, look like the one episode of SpongeBob when the fire happens in his head. So yeah. Um, keeps things exciting for sure. Uh, and it's interesting too. Like I, uh, like one of the things I really like about him is like, I think there's a, and one of the things I've struggled with, with, with Franz Wagner is like trying to look at guys who, uh, you know, are they going to take advantage of opportunities or like, if it's presented to them, are they going to, and I think like what's so encouraging about Josh is that he wants, he, he doesn't just want to beat you. Like he's going to make the pass that like destroys your defense, even if it ends up in a turnover, like he wants to, he wants to beat the crap out of you. And I love that. And it makes me like a little bit more encouraged for what his future could be. Um, I promised 30 minutes. So I, I just, one more question for you before we get out of here. Um, who are you hope? Oh, wait, I, I almost said, who are you hoping the bulls take? Uh, the bulls do not have a pick. I apologize. That was not intentional. Uh, I got 38. Are, I got 38 takes. Not, not the first pick, but yeah. Yeah. So for 38, who would you like at 38? Uh, how about Kessler Edwards? That's what I, I would love Kessler Edwards uh, on, on the pick. Pacers in general, but yeah, Kessler is going to be so good. Um, I like him a lot, but that would be, if he would help. 
I think it would be a fantastic pick. Bulls got no wings, man. They have uh, they have a lot of roster spots that need to turn over. I never need to watch Denzel Valentine, but <laughs> Ryan Archie Diacono, Cristiano Felicio, good for him taking eight million dollars a year of Jerry Reinsdorf's money, but he's off the books now. Finally, uh, Bulls need some some definite roster turnover and. Our central division, man, our central division's getting harder. It's getting very hard now. I mean, like, the Cavs have uh, have locked their way into being somewhat decent now. Like, we're getting to – it seems like they should be at some point. Um, Detroit is, like, potentially a playoff team next year or a play-in team with, with Cade. I mean, they had the bones of a solid team last year. I know they had 20 wins, but, like, that was one of the best 21 te- teams I've ever seen. And I mean that in the nicest way possible, but – yeah, man, it's uh things are changing. Um, well, Ricky, I, I really appreciate you taking the time, man. Is there anything you want to plug or, or mention before we get out of here? Yeah, I'll just say check out my Sharif story, espionation.com. You can find it there. If you Google around, you can find my Josh Giddy story as well. I'll be doing the draft grades if you want to see my reaction to each of the picks. And yeah, that's about it. Awesome, man. Well, I really appreciate you taking the time. Uh, I'll be sure to have links to all that down below. To everyone listening, thank you for listening. And most importantly, enjoy the rest of your Wednesday before we hit the draft tomorrow.